Would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord. Thank you that we can gather together as a body, Lord, of believers and sing our praises and lift our praises up to you and lift everything up to you, Lord. Right now, we lift up any anxiety and anything that would distract our minds, Lord, from receiving your word this evening. So would you speak to us, please, Lord? Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Good evening to you. You can be seated. Welcome. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you are. Real quick, uh, before we get started, I want to let you know that I spoke with Pastor Steve Santos today, and I'm planning to provide an update on Sunday, Lord willing, and if we're still here. Uh, I do have a, a, a plans to talk with them tomorrow. Uh, we need to go over a few very important details about everything that is ongoing in terms of the uh, Maui mission support. Uh, he did uh, mention something, though, that I do want to share with you tonight, and that is that the fire is gone, but the fear is not. The fire is gone, but the fear is not, meaning that there are so many people that are so fearful of the uncertainty of their future, their jobs, their, a place to live, a car to drive. By the way, that's something I'm hoping to share a good report on uh, on Sunday. We're working on right now a truck uh, car for a single mom and a, um, uh, another car probably a minivan for a family with an autistic child. So, I mean, what a privilege, you know, it is ours to be able to, you know, help in this way. So uh, we're working on that. Uh, but when I kind of asked him to expound on the fear factor, if I can call it that, um, he said, yeah, you know, what's happening now, and, and it's kind of like what I shared on Sunday. It's almost worse now than it was right after it happened, because now some two plus months later is starting to sink in. And the reality of, you know, did that just happen is starting to sink in and set in. And just the, the reality of wait a minute, am I still going to have a job? Am I going to have a place to live? Uh, he was telling me that, and this is so sad, that, you know, rent is just gone off the charts. So, you know, he said, that, you know, you used to be able to rent a place, you know, reasonably, maybe a couple thousand dollars. Now it's $3,500 a month, $3,700 a month. And, uh, you know, wait a minute, I don't even, how, how am I going to pay that rent? I don't even know if I'm going to have a job. So we're working with a lot of people and we're helping a lot of people. Uh, Calvary Chapel West Side is financially uh, able to help people with their rent uh, payments uh, presently for the time being. And uh, so it's just, again, the fear is so real. Uh, and that's what they're dealing with. And so please pray as the Lord puts it on your heart too. And, uh, whew, you know, and then you think about everything that's happening in Israel. Whew, man. Oh Lord, be merciful. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 29. Uh, just one chapter tonight. Um, I think you'll see why. So why don't we pray? And let's just ask God to bless our time together in His Word, if you would join with me. Father in heaven, thank you. We're um, wanting to posture ourselves before you, humble ourselves before you tonight, Lord, and just confess to you, Lord, that we are a needy people. 
And we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. So many people are hurting and desperate and Lord, you are so faithful. And so Lord, just, you know every need before every need is a need. So please Lord, meet every need as only you can and are always so faithful to. Encourage the discouraged and strengthen the downcast. And Lord, provide, not just provide, but do it in a way that is unmistakably you, so that you alone receive all the glory Do your holy name. <laughs> like we're going to read tonight, like we've been reading, it seems like every Thursday night, so that they will know that I am the Lord, your God. I mean, Lord, do it in such a way so that there's no mistaking it, that you alone did this, and you are God, because only you could do this. So Lord, thank you in advance for what you are even now doing in the midst of just the unthinkable horror of it all from Maui to Israel and everywhere in between. Things that don't even make the news cycles as we refer to them. But you see everything. Everything that's happening in the world today. You see, you know, you care, you hear, and you act on behalf of those who seek you, and you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. So Lord, thank you. Lord, tonight we have before us uh, a chapter here in Your Word, this portion before us tonight in Your Word. And, and we're just going to ask You for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher tonight, to teach us that which You would have us to learn, and show us that which You would have us to see, and speak into our lives that which You would have us to hear, because Lord, we have ears to hear and eyes to see. So speak, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Boy, sometimes, you know, it's hard to know how to pray. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit intercedes? And aren't you glad that Jesus actually is in? Hey, listen, Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> He's at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. What was your problem again? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a rough, um, but genuine truth. Um, but boy, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit just intercedes and kind of fine tunes those prayers to reach the heart of God. Okay, let's get to it. Um, well, so I used interesting chapter, uh, difficult chapter, uh, I'm running out of words here. Anybody want to help me out here <laughs> on this chapter? Um, so it's a very, um, uh, how about we just use profound? I haven't used that for a while. I like that word profound. It is profound. In fact, this chapter along with the next three chapters, so four chapters total, deal with a prophecy chiefly concerning Egypt, specifically about its destruction, its demise, and its ultimate desolation. So as we're about to see right out of the chute, in the very first verse, we have what I affectionately refer to as a prophetic timestamp. What's a prophetic timestamp? We're given a specific time, year, day, down to the day that this prophecy was given. And there's always a reason for that. And the reason why we have this particular prophetic timestamp right out of the chute in verse 1 is because it was at this time that Egypt could have still tried, keyword, 
to rescue Judah from the Babylonians. That's the reason for the timestamp. We don't always have timestamps, uh, but here we do. And there's always a good reason for it. And so the Lord wants us to know through the prophet Ezekiel this specific time. In fact, it's believed to be in the month of January that what we're about to read here prophetically concerning the judgment coming upon Egypt. We have it down to the day. And the key to that is because at that time, based on this prophetic timestamp, the Babylonian siege was in full swing. Egypt was still able at this time to rescue Judah. Now what do we know to be true about Egypt? It's a type of the world. Hence the title that I chose for tonight's Bible study. The world won't rescue you. Egypt would not rescue Judah. And we're going to see why here. And that's the problem here. Because Egypt would not rescue Judah despite, listen, Judah looking to and relying on Egypt to come to their rescue. And it's almost like God saying, oh, you're still relying on having confidence in Egypt to rescue you from the Babylonians? What did I have prophesied through the prophet Isaiah, even Jeremiah? Don't rely on Egypt. And you're still doing it. You're still looking to the world to rescue. You're still looking to the Egypt of this world to rescue you. They're not going to rescue you. And actually, I'm going to make sure <laughs> that they're unable to rescue. Because it's still plausible at this juncture, based on this timestamp. But they won't do it. So stop looking to the world to rescue you. Do not have confidence in the arm of flesh. Do not lean on the arm of flesh. Do not rely on the arm of flesh. Don't look to the world for help. The world will not rescue you. And that's the takeaway from this chapter. Because this is true for us. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, just like Judah in that day, we look to the Egypt of this world to rescue us in our day. It won't happen. It will not happen. And God will make sure it will not happen. Because God wants us to rely on Him, to lean on Him, to look to Him, to have confidence in Him to rescue us. So that was my introduction. Are you ready? Okay, verse 1. Here's the timestamp. In the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th day of the month. How's that for specificity? The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster. Wow, there's monsters in the Bible. <laughs> well, actually, the original language of the Hebrew Old Testament allows for the translation of this word monster uh, as crocodile which is actually a more accurate uh, translation of this word. And I'll explain why. So you have to understand, this is going to come up in a moment. In fact, it's going to come up here very soon. The Nile was the lifeline for Egypt. It was the source of all of their wealth. It was the source of their transportation. It was the source of their irrigation for all of their crops. All the Nile, in fact, they worship the Nile. In fact, again, that's going to come up here in a minute. But what was in the Nile? Crocodiles. So 
when God, and this is, I love this about the Word of God and the God of the Word. And you would think that Egypt would have learned a thing or two when all of those 10 plagues were against one of their gods that they worshiped, one of which was the Nile turning to blood, because they worshiped the Nile as a god with a little g. So uh, he's using language and verbiage that they would understand, because they knew very well about these crocodiles. In fact, they saw these crocodiles there in the Nile as protectors. And it's going to get a little bit graphic. I'll, I'll try to do my best so that it's not too graphic. But he's going to now prophesy against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he's likening him to these crocodiles there in the Nile River. And he goes on to say, who lies in the midst of his rivers, and get this, who has said, my river is my own. I have made it for myself. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, he did. Wait, Pharaoh, let me see if I got this straight, Pharaoh. You think that that's your river, the River Nile? You think you made the River Nile? Actually, you didn't. I did. And you didn't make it. It makes you what you are. Because were it not for the River Nile, you would have nothing. Everything you have is because of this river that you're now claiming to be your own, that you actually made yourself. So here's what we're going to do about it. Verse 4. You ready for it? But I will put hooks in your jaws and cause the fish of your rivers to <laughs> stick to your scales. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers and all the fish in your rivers will stick to your scales. Okay, that's TMI right there. I don't need to know this. Yes, I do need to know this. And so do you. And here's why. This is how they would get the alligators. They would get these huge hooks, these huge crocodiles, deadly crocodiles. And they, I'll try to be, what? Just say it? Okay, Charlie, I'm saying it then. This is what they would use for bait on those big, huge hooks to catch these crocodiles. They would use pigs. Well, Charlie said I could say it. So they would put a pig on the end of these huge hooks, put them in the Nile. The alligators would bite on it, and they would take and catch that alligator with that hook and pull it out. And they have to kill it now. That's what, I mean, God's saying, okay, you know how you catch your, your, I mean, your crocodiles? That's what I'm going to do to you. Have a nice afternoon. I will leave you in the wilderness, verse 5. You and all the fish of your rivers. So the fish, well, anyway, that's too much. But they would stick to the, anyway. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the heavens. Then, verse 6, all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord because. Now, remember we talked about because? This be the cause. Because, the cause. Because. What was the cause? Well, the cause be because. I'll stop. They have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. Now watch this. So the, the uh, reeds in the river Nile. At, at, at first, you look at them, they look pretty strong, but they're not. 
And this is what Egypt was to Israel, like that reed that would not be able to rescue them or hold them up or be there for them to lean on, which is what we now see in verse 7. When they took hold of you with the hand, you broke and tore all their shoulders when they leaned on you. You broke and made all their backs quiver. So in that day, there was a lot of walking. Um, so they would have to have walking sticks, rods, staffs, if you prefer. So what God is doing through Ezekiel is likening Egypt and Pharaoh in particular to these reeds there in the river Nile that were good for nothing. You couldn't lean on them. They would just crumble. They would just break. They, they, did, they weren't steady enough. They weren't reliable. And you were like that to them, and they were in full cooperation with you, and they're leaning on you. But they couldn't lean on you. The rods, the staffs, the, the, these, they broke and made all their backs quiver. Therefore, verse 8, thus says the Lord God, surely I will bring a sword upon you and cut off from you man and beast. And verse 9, the land of Egypt shall become desolate and waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I hope you get used to that. We're going to read that like 538 more times before the chapter is over. Because he said, and now interesting, God's taking notice of it and repeating what Pharaoh declared, the river is mine, and I have made it. Because you said that, that be the cause. <laughs> you said the river is mine, and I have made it. Well, it's going to come back to bite you like crocodiles and I guess alligators too. Are crocodiles worse than alligators? I think they are. Aren't you glad we don't have them in Hawaii? Okay, good. Verse 10, indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. You're against the river Nile? Okay, now we got a serious problem because we rely, talk about relying on, having confidence in the river Nile rescuing us. And now you're against the river Nile. Uh, what are you going to do? Oh, I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate from Migdal to Sien, as far as the border of Ethiopia, from the far end of the land to the other, from north to south, the entire land. Neither foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast pass through it, and it shall be uninhabited 40 years. 40, of course, the number of judgment. The, the Exodus, the wandering in the wilderness, 40 years. 40, the number of judgment. This is the judgment of God on Egypt. And I mean, I'm the God of the Nile. You worship the Nile as God? I am the God of the Nile. I made the Nile. So now watch what I'm going to do with the Nile that I made. I'm going to make it desolate now. And it's going to be uninhabited for 40 years. I'm not chuckling out of a, you know, laughing. It's, it's kind of a nervous laughter. I mean, this is my father's birthplace. I'm half Egyptian. In fact, just in preparing for teaching this chapter tonight, I started reminiscing traveling down memory lane and was sort of reminded of what it was like when I was there many years ago. I have an aunt that lives there in Giza, Egypt of all places where the pyramids are. 
And we went to Alexandria, Iskandria, right there on the coast of the Mediterranean. That was where my dad was born in Alexandria. Cairo, I would not recommend ever going to Cairo. And this was many years ago. I would certainly not recommend going to Cairo. <laughs> true story. Can I just share one true story with you? So I'm asking my auntie, who's driving in Cairo, okay, they would install horns, you know, big truck horns to get people, forget stoplights, crosswalks, forget about it. So I remember you know, just people all over the place. And I remember asking my auntie, this guy, you know, here's a guy who has no leg. Here's a guy with no arm. I said, well, what happened? Well, they got hit by a car. It's like, oh, get me out of here. <laughs> this is a horrible place. Well, Ezekiel 29 explains why. I will make the land of Egypt desolate. It was desolate. It was dry. It was dusty. In the midst of the countries that are desolate, and among the cities that are laid waste, her cities shall be desolate forty years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, and disperse them throughout the countries. Yet, thus says the Lord God, at the end of forty years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. Now, this in a way is God's mercy and God's grace, but there's a but here. I will bring back, verse 14, the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin. And there they shall be a lowly kingdom. Nobody will ever look to Egypt anymore. They will be a lowly kingdom. In fact, verse 15, it shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself above the nations, for I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. You got to, I, I don't know how to paint this picture for you, this picture of the grand and glorious empire that was, the ruling empire that was Egypt. Think Joseph. It was the most powerful nation in the known world at the time, especially during the famine, which God had prepared Joseph for as he was preparing what, I botched it, didn't I? He was preparing Joseph for that which he was preparing for Joseph. Because you don't just make a guy the most powerful man in the known world without preparing them first. And for 17 long years, he had to go through all that he went through for such a time as that. So when the time came, he would not be ill prepared for that which God had prepared for him. But you got to know that everybody came from all over to Egypt to get grain. The wealth in Egypt. In fact, if you go to Egypt, which again, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Did I say that? I said that, right? I'm just, just a travel tip, no extra charge. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, even back then, I want to say it was 1997, I took my wife on her 30th birthday on a Nile, uh, on a, uh, in a boat uh, to go down the Nile River. Aren't I just such a romantic? Just give me a moment on that one. <laughs> just another moment on that one. <laughs> no, just, you know, happy birthday, honey. How about a Nile River cruise? No, it was a private, uh, you know, uh, boat that we were on, and, and I took her on the Nile, and it stunk. No, for real. It, the, the splendor that it once enjoyed, the life that it once had was no more, because 
it had dried up. I know I've shared about the cab drive from HE double hockey sticks that we had to take from uh, Cairo to Alexandria because uh, we missed the train because of traffic and people getting, you know, hit by cars and stuff. And so we ended up in this cab and we're, there's no AC. It's 185 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and the windows are down and we're driving. And as God is my witness, I cannot put it into words in the English language, as faulty as it is, when we would drive uh, through some parts of Egypt, going from Cairo to Alexandria, the stench. Well, I'm really on a roll tonight with this, aren't I? I mean, for, you're still trying to get pigs on hooks out of out, uh, crocodiles' mouths, aren't you? And now I bring up the stench. But I mean, it was, you know how it is, the brain, the, the smell is the strongest and most powerful of the senses because it goes right to the hypothalamus in the, in the brain. That's why when you smell something, it brings back a memory like that. There's a neurological uh, uh, explanation for that. So I have never before that ever smelled anything like that. And since that, I have never smelled anything like that again, for which I am very grateful to God for. But you cannot even describe it in words. It was so bad. And there was nothing you could do. I mean, you would take your shirt that's now covered in dust, as is your face. When we got to Alexandria, my wife was wearing sunglasses. She takes them off. She was brown. The only thing that was still white was the eyes where the sunglasses were. It was, it was seriously, I'm not exaggerating. It was so bad. The dust and the, and the and the smell. This this is this is a dramatization just for the effects. I mean, and the smell, and you couldn't breathe. And then if you did breathe, you you bring your shirt up, and it still didn't work. And then when you got there, it was on you. I'm going to stop there because I'm getting sick to my stomach right now just remembering it. But Egypt would never, ever rise to the level it was prior because of what God said He would do, recorded here in this 29th chapter of Ezekiel. Egypt is nothing now. It's irrelevant. It's inconsequential. It, it is not a nation, forget ruling over nations, this is not a nation, a country that, in, in fact, one last one, I think that will uh, help just kind of paint a picture of how horrible it is. So there was a guy in the hotel that we were staying in in Alexandria that was really kind of taking a liking to me. And I, of course, had my antennas up. Okay, I know that the Arab people, my people are hospitable. But this is a little bit over the top. What's going on here? Well, come to find out, he was trying to get me to sponsor him to move to America, to get out of Egypt. And uh, we were talking to this other guy. I, I just asked, just out of curiosity, what, what is the average monthly income for someone like yourself that actually has a pretty good job there in the hotel? He said, 30 US dollars a month. Wow. A lowly kingdom. Verse 16, no longer. Now here's the why behind the what. Verse 16, <laughs> no longer shall it be the confidence of the house of Israel. You think? In other words, I'm going to so reduce you, so diminish you, so that Israel will never look to you again. No longer will they have confidence in you to rescue them, because look at you. After I'm through with you, someone says, yeah, Egypt's going to come to our rescue. Egypt? Did you say Egypt? <laughs> now that's, a, that's laughter. That's laughable. You're joking, right? Egypt? <laughs> They're going to rescue you? Wow. You're delusional. They can't rescue themselves. 
No longer shall it be the confidence of the house of Israel. But isn't this interesting? So this is what I call the sway. Let me explain. Minus 10 and plus 10 is 20. You got the sway, double whammy, if you will. So not only will Egypt no longer be what you put your confidence in to rescue you, but Egypt now will become for you a reminder. A reminder of what? Remind them of their iniquity when they turn to follow them. You were looking to them, turning to them, not to me, not anymore. In fact, every time you think of them, it will be a reminder to you of your iniquity when you turn to them, to follow them, to rely on them, to have confidence in them. Then, and this, this just packs more punch now when we read it again, then they shall know that I, not Egypt, am the Lord God who will rescue them. I'm adding to it to make the point. Because again, the emphasis is on I am. You know, you can change the whole complexion of what you say by how you say what you say. Example, I can say to you, then they shall know that I am the Lord God. Okay. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. See what I'm doing here? Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. You see the emphasis? See how it changes the the flavor, the complexion of it. But when you say it like this, then they shall know that I am the Lord God. There's the inference that they did not heretofore know that. So now they will know that I am the Lord God. See, you were looking to Egypt, and you were doing with Egypt that which you are to do with me. What? Trust me. You're putting your trust in Egypt. You're following Egypt. Follow me. I am the Lord your God. You're turning to Egypt. Turn to me. Because now, if you haven't noticed, uh, you can turn to them, but you can put, put your confidence in, in them. But uh, how's that working out for you now, now that I've diminished them, reduced them, judged them? And not only will you no longer put your confidence in them, they're actually going, you know, it brings, we say it like this, it brings back bad memories. That's what's going to happen. So it's a double whammy. Not only have you lost that which you had prior put your confidence in, now that which you prior put your confidence in is going to bring back bad memories of when you put your confidence in them instead of the Lord, when you turn to them instead of the Lord. One more application before we move on. And I, this is very important. Uh, please hear me out, because it is very applicable to us. Isn't it true of us that the Lord is our last resort, not our first response? So adversity strikes, who do we turn to? Them? Her? Him? How about not even personifying it? Do we turn to that instead of the Lord? The Lord would say to us, I am the one that you need to turn to. I am the one that you need to put your confidence in, because I am the Lord your God. Turn to me. 
come to me. Call upon me. We call everybody. Something happens. We're on the phone. Or I got to update my illustrations because I can't do this anymore because that's like so 80s. Actually, 70s. So now it's, you know, is it this? Oh, no, it's the AirPods now. I can't even do that. We, 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 we call everyone but the one we should call. We turn to everyone else but the one we should turn to. Let's be honest. <laughs> and I, I almost wonder, no, I don't have to wonder. I, I know from personal experience I have to confess, when I've done that, which I have done more times than I would care to admit, I turn to someone else and I just, you know, vomit on them. Boy, that's, that's horrible. I'm sorry. I still got that pig. I can't get that pig out of my mind. I just unload on them. Is that better? That's more sanitary. Okay, I unload on them. Some of you germaphobes are just going out of your mind right now. But I just unload on them. I just dump on them. And I'm just, you know, explaining to them everything. And they're, you know, it's kind of like, hello, hello. Oh, sorry, AirPod. Hello, hello, you still there? And they're like, okay, I'll pray for you. Wow, thanks a lot. I just, this is just the way I think. I just picture the Lord going, <laughs> really? I, hello? Turn to me. Call me. First of all, you wasted an hour and a half just trying to explain to them what was going on. I already knew. I could have saved you an hour and a half right there. And then even after spending an hour and a half trying to apprise them of your situation for which you are turning to them for and calling them about, you spend an hour and a half and they still are like, no way. What now? And they're just like, and they, not only are, talk about a sway, not only are they of no help to you, they actually make it worse. Man, what was I thinking? Why did I call call you? I, I wish I never called you. Again, God's going, I wish you wouldn't have called him either. This, this is what Israel was now, because of putting their confidence in, turning to Egypt. It's kind of like, I'm not going to call you anymore, God. It's about time. It worked. I, in fact, I have I have orchestrated this phone call to them to be that way so that you'll not call them again. Because here you had confidence that calling them would help and they would be an encouragement to you. And you were confident that, man, if I could just call them and turn to them, well, I'll take care of that. So you'll never want to do that again. You won't waste your time. You'll just come to me instead, because I already know all about it. In fact, not only do I know all about the situation, actually, I am, I am the one who allowed it, just so I could hear from you, because I don't hear from you anymore. The only time I hear from you is when you need something. So God figured out, not that he had to figure anything out, he's all knowing. Uh, but God knows that, hey, if the only time I'm ever going to hear from them is when they can't call anybody else, and the only time I'm going to hear from them is when I'm the last resort. So I'm just going to bring them to the last resort place. And this last resort, this is not a resort you want to stay at. <laughs> In other words, this is my last resort. It reminds me of that true story, husband and wife. Husband comes home, says, honey, we need to pray. To which she responds, is it that bad? Really? 
Prayer is, you only pray when it's that bad. Yeah. Well, don't you think God knows that? Okay, so the only time you're going to pray, the only time I'm going to hear you, the only time you're going to call me like a, a, a parent who has a kid in college, the only time they call is when they need money. Oh no, I had a friend back in the day. He had it down, man. This was so good. He had a son in college. Only time he calls when he needed money. So my friend would do this. His son would call. He'd say, hey, I'm glad you called, son. I'm going to send you $500. He was going to ask for a grand. Saving himself $500 right there. Smart. Anyway. Well, so if the only time I'm ever going to turn to the Lord, put my confidence in the Lord to rescue me, (laughs) the only time I'm going to turn to Him is when I can't turn to anybody else. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, you get a call and the person says, you know, I called everybody else. Nobody else was available. So I thought I'd call you. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. Wait, you call, how many people did you call first? Well, I ran like 15 and nobody. So I'm calling you. I was 16 on your list and you're calling me for help. Click. That's out of date too. I think you just hear a beep, don't you now? A beep. Anyway, okay. So beep. Okay, I think I beat that one to death enough. So I think, but this is a good, because we're going to turn a corner here now and fast forward some 17 years later in verse 17. How appropriate is that? And it came to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, here's another timestamp, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Remember from last week? Every head, and the week before, every head was made bald, and every shoulder rubbed raw. Yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre for the labor which they expended on it. What's, go- what's going on here? Okay. So you have to understand that when Babylon uh, sieged Tyre, it took them some 13 years to actually conquer the city of Tyre. 13 years. And they expended a vast amount of resources. It was more costly than they had anticipated and took much longer than they had anticipated. And think about it like this. All of the men that were there in the siege against Tyre, they had to carry dirt to build the siege mounds to take the city. And you do that for 13 years, and you're bald now. I don't like this verse at all. And your shoulders are rubbed raw from carrying the load to build this siege mound. And this is not, this is not cheap, by the way, even for Babylon. So this has really cost you this expenditure you've expended on the labor. And your army, you have to pay them their wages. So this was not worth the cost, nor the army wages that you had to pay, the expenses that you had to allocate. You had not budgeted for a 13 year siege to take the city of Tyre. So what God, God's, this is, is this an accounting thing? It kind of is. It's kind of cool actually. Therefore, verse 19, thus says the Lord God, surely, (laughs) watch how this ties in. I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away her wealth. Was Egypt wealthy before God diminished her? You better believe it. Just the gold alone. Think about when the Israelites made the exodus after that 10th plague in haste, and they left Egypt. 
Do you know how much gold they took with them? Where do you think Aaron got that gold to make that golden calf? That he told his brother, he just threw in the fire and poof, out came a golden calf. Remember that? Where did they get that gold? Egypt. Did Egypt have gold? Egypt had gold. Egypt still has gold. Nothing like it was. Those, anyway, I'm getting too far off and we don't have time, but it is just unbelievable, the amount of wealth. So what's God doing here? God's saying, look, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I know you lost a lot of money on the tire deal. That cost you a lot more. And by the time you finally took it, you know what tire did? Because you talk about a wealthy city. We talked about this. Uh, arguably wealthier than Egypt, because it was the trade route. And they made what I, what I, I, this is horrible, I, but I'm sorry. It, it, we used to have a term for it called the double kiss. <laughs> it means you make money on both ends of the deal. They would make money coming in from the imports and make money going out with the exports. So they were making a double kiss. It was a double kiss, double profit. By the way, auctions, they charge the seller and the buyer. I hate them. Anyway, I'm actually bitter about this apparently, but uh, this is what Tyre was doing. They were making a lot of money because of the trade on both ends. So, so God's saying, listen, I owe you Nebuchadnezzar, and God's not going to be the debtor to no man. And I know you lost a lot of money, so I'm going to make up for it with Egypt. Are you in? Am I in? Wait, so I lost all this money on the tire deal, but you're going to give me the Egypt deal? Where do I sign? He, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, shall take away her wealth, carry off her spoil, and remove her pillage, and that will be the wages for his army. Wow. God. That, again, God will be the debtor to no man. Now he's going to explain why here at the end of the chapter that he's doing this. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor. Why? Because they worked for me. I hired them. I got to pay them. And they didn't get paid when they took tire. So I got to make good on it, because I'm the one that hired them to begin with. Wait a minute. You, you hired Nebuchadnezzar to take tire, and also he gets all the wealth from Egypt, but he was on your payroll? Yeah. I got to make good on it. Wait, so you hired Babylon to do this to Judah and Tyre, and now they're going to get the wealth of Egypt? You hired them, and you're, and you're going to pay them? Very handsomely, I might add. Make sure that they're well paid for what you hired them to do, because they work for you, and you're going to pay them, says the Lord? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Well, if you're having a hard time, like I am right now, just trying to wrap your mind around the fact that God might hire a Nebuchadnezzar in your life to work for God. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. I think it was Oswald Chambers who said, you know, our problem is we object because of the hands that God uses to crush us, to make us poured out wine and broken bread. In other words, it's kind of like, listen, God, I know you're going to break me, chastise me, discipline me, but don't use them. And you're going to pay them? to do it? Yeah. Well now, verse 21 lastly is going to, I hope, and I'll do my best, it's going to tie it all together. In that day I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth, and I will open your mouth, speaking of Ezekiel, to speak in their midst. Then 
they shall know that I am the Lord. And that's how the chapter ends. Now, how does that all tie together? Think, think it through with me. Israel has just gone through this whole thing, having put their trust in Egypt to rescue them. And God sort of took that off the table. And not only did He take it off the table, uh, He paid Nebuchadnezzar to take it off the table, paid him very well. Um, and He did that for me, not to me. Stay with me. God did that not to me, but for me. So we're going through a trial. God, why are you doing this to me? Doing this to you? I'm doing this to you? No, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you. This is, don't we hate this when we're kids and our parents say, this is for your own good. Well, it sure doesn't feel like it. This is, this is for your own good. Why are you doing this to me? No, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for your own good. <laughs> Did I lose you on that one? If you got a better example, I'm happy to use it. But that's what God's saying. I used them, paid them to do this for you, because this is what I'm going to spring forth from you. And this is the way I'm going to do it. And this is the way I have to do it. And we, here we are. We, we, this is a pride thing, by the way. And this is a control thing. You know who you are. I won't look at anybody. The control freaks. We have to be in control. It's all about control. Well, God's in control. Yeah, but I want to just know so I want to know the ways and the whys of God. And God's like, really? So you can be in control. Why can't you just trust me? No, I just, I want to, I want to know. You, no. I want to know why you're doing what you're doing, the way you're doing it at the time you're doing it, and in the color you're doing it in. No. It's actually called faith, believe it or not. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence strong word of that which is yet unseen. In other words, our flesh, we want to see it. We want to walk by sight. The, the righteous shall live by faith, not by sight. Because if you think about it, if you see it, faith is no longer required. And there is coming a day soon and very soon where our faith will be turned to sight. I mean, you don't put your faith in something you already see and have. Faith is what you don't have or have control of. And that's really the rub, by the way. Am I stepping on some toes here? All right. I'm just trying to get some hooks in your... Sorry. It's like God saying, listen, I, I love you so much. I had to hire these guys and pay these guys to work for me so that I could do this work for you, in you, not to you or against you, but for you. Because I'm going to cause the horn of the house, that's the power, the horn is power of the house of Israel to spring forth. And so your prophet Ezekiel, I'm going to open his mouth. I thought his mouth was already open. Oh no, you ain't seen nothing yet. He's been holding back. He's been holding back? Are you kidding me? No. I'm going to open his mouth to speak in their midst. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is one of those things, as I prayed at the beginning of our Bible study, when you pray specifically for God's provision, it, it, specifically in the sense that you pray, God provide, but do it so that there's no question mark on it. So that it's done in such a way that I, they, we know it was you. 
Because only you could have done that, that way. Nobody else could have done that. So this is what God is doing here for Israel, not to Israel, for Israel. I'm going to do something for you that will be unmistakable to you so that you will know that I am the Lord. I know it's pretty drastic and even dramatic. I had to go through all of that. I had to hire them, pay them all that money just so I could do this for you. See it as such. I hope that if anything, all of us, myself included, will leave this chapter tonight and this Bible study with it, with this understanding that this was a prophecy yet future revealing the God of Israel to Israel vis-a-vis -vis the restoring of Israel. God is a restoring God. He will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Yeah, this was a, a pretty dramatic way to go about it, but it was the only way that I could do it. And I had to do it this way so that you would know that it was me that did it. One last thing, and, and we are done. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's one of those things where you've heard it said, you'll thank me later. You know what I mean? You know, at the time you're like, I'll thank you later. I don't think so. No, you'll thank me later. In other words, you don't see it now, but you will. And when you do, you'll thank me. Because right now you're not thanking me. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, you're pretty upset with me. But you'll thank me for this. I don't think I'll thank you for this. No, you, you will. When you see what I'm going to do and bring forth, spring forth out of this that I could not have otherwise spring forth out of your life, had I not done something like this, you'll thank me. What does that look like? How many times have you thanked God? You would never want to go through it again, but you would never trade for anything in the world what God did in and through that fiery trial you went through. Thank you, Lord. You know, okay, one last illustration. I just, it just came to me. This is the Holy Spirit, so, and Charlie, both, so I could say this. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are details in the narrative that are oftentimes missed and to our own peril when they are. So you know that furnace was turned up seven times hotter. You know about the typology. But isn't it interesting that even the guys that threw them into the furnace were burned alive to death? Now, they bound them, we're told again, a detail in the narrative. They bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with ropes. And they were, they were commanded to be bound, to bind them, and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Do you know that the only thing, there wasn't even the smell of smoke, another detail, on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were rescued in the midst of the fiery furnace by the Lord Himself. But you know what? The only thing that was burned off of them going through that furnace of affliction were the ropes that bound them. That's the only thing that burned. You see where I'm going with this? Sometimes we have to go through stuff those fiery trials. We're, we're going we're, we're gonna to make it out alive. We're not going to get burned. But what God's going to burn off, like with gold, with the goldsmith, He's going to burn off those things that need to be burned off, that bind us. The impurities in our life that have to be subjected to that intense heat to rise to the surface of the gold to make it pure. I'm doing that for you. I know you don't, you'll thank me later. You don't see it now, what I'm doing, but you'll, you'll see and you'll thank me. Okay. That was the last last. So Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up? Um, did I say profound chapter at the beginning? That was kind of profound, wasn't it? I think so.
Thank you, Lord, for this chapter. Thank you for including it in the canon of Scripture. Here we are all of these generations later. And it is just so apropos for us where we're at in our lives today, in this Egypt of the world. So many lessons to be learned from this chapter. And so Lord, now we're just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would begin that process, as arduous as it might be, to apply this to our lives. Bless this to our hearts, so that we're not just hearers of Your Word, but doers, that we'll do something about what we heard here in Your Word tonight. So thank You, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.